Motorist Insurance Group and Brick Street Insurance have come together to create a better one-stop shop for agents and policyholders, encircling you with coverage at every step in life's journey. We are now in Cova Insurance. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-sized prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance. Welcome everyone to episode 175 of the NBA podcast. I'm Brian Deporek and today we're going to continue on with our division previews. We are done with the West so we're moving to the East. We're going to start with the Central Division. Before we get underway, a reminder that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA pod. In our bio you can find our Twitter handles to give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes so please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. We'd love any feedback. And we're being hosted on the Almighty Baller Podcast Network, so check them out on Twitter, at AlmightyCasts. Joining me today, as always, is my very stable genius of a co-host, Morton Jensen. How's it going, Mort? Brian, I am way too excited because I found my favorite soft drink in down in the in the grocery store, and that's only there for like a couple months a year. And the joy that I had discovering that is is way too 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 far that it should be like it's way too big. I, I really shouldn't be that excited as a thirty two year old man about soda. It's it's an issue. What? Nevertheless, what is I'm just drink? thrilled. It's called Guaraná. It's from Brazil. It's oh. absolutely tremendous. I discovered it at, when I was in Brazil at age thirteen, and then suddenly it came to Denmark, and I've been a mess ever since. <laughs> Well, congrats. That sounds awesome. Good reason to be excited. Yeah, I think so. I think so. It's sad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, today, we're also joined by a special guest. We have Ian Levy, the senior NBA editor of Fansided, on with us. Ian, how's it going? Uh, it's going great. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, thanks for being back. Uh, before we got another way, can you let our listeners know where to find you on Twitter? And then, uh, <laughs> I mean, they can find your work on Fansided, but feel free to plug any other Fansided stuff you want right here. Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Hickory High, and uh, you can find everything I write at uh, fansided.com backslash NBA. Uh, we wrapped up our 25 under 25 project last week, and we've got uh, looking at rivalries this week, uh, season preview stuff uh, about two, three weeks out. So lots of lots of great stuff by lots of great writers. One of them may or may not be me, but I'm, I'm not included in the great writer category. I'm the mediocre. Uh <laughs> All right, let's start, guys, with the Indiana Pacers. I think they're probably one of the more fascinating teams, really, throughout the NBA, just because no one saw this team coming last year. Like, when they traded Paul George away, everyone thought they waved the white flag on the season. We all thought, oh, Victor Oladipo and Sabonis, that's a mediocre return. Then Oladipo has this breakout all-star campaign. The Pacers win 48 games, put a real scare into the Cavs in the first round of the playoffs. This team is legit, but that assumes that Victor Oladipo's breakout is actually a thing that's going to carry over into this year. So, Ian, that's my first question about this team is, was Victor Oladipo's breakout for real? Is it sustainable? Can he even build upon that, or is he going to regress back a little bit? 
I wouldn't be surprised if this ends up being his his career year. If our last season, I'm sorry, ends up being his career year. It's hard to imagine him getting better, uh, even at his age. And uh, it wouldn't be surprising to me if he drops off a little bit this year. Some of the shooting percentages seemed a little bit unsustainable. Um, but it seems like a good position for him. Uh, it seems like the the style that they're playing sort of fits well with him, a, a more comfortable scenario than he was in with the Magic or the Thunder. And, uh, you know, while those shooting percentages looked sort of still seem unsustainable at the end of the season, you know, they, they held up across the entire year. You know, he, he had some ups and downs, but, uh, you know, he, he was pretty consistent shooting off the dribble across the entire year. So uh, probably he's maybe not quite as good as he was last year, but but certainly seems like he's a different player than he was with the Thunder and the Magic. Yeah, I think the usage with him and Darren Collison really fits him well. Like, he's he was just always paired with either... In OKC, he was paired with Russ, so he just, like, never got to touch the ball, and he didn't get to play on ball as much as he wanted to. And then even in Orlando, the fit between him and Peyton was just so awkward because Peyton's such a bad shooter, and, like, Oladipo's not terrible, but, you know, he was in the low to mid-30s for the first three years of his career in Orlando. So, like... Playing next to Collison, who's a great three-point shooter, I think he led the NBA in three-point percentage last year. He's more of a low-usage point guard. That marriage seems ideal for Oladipo. That said, Mort, I'm going to go to you because I know you've been harping on this. Uh, you know, they they brought in a number of new guys this summer. A mm. lot of whom, I mean, I, I thought they had one of the best off seasons of any team. They got Aaron Holiday in the draft. Then they signed Tyreek Evans. Doug McDermott, Kylo Quinn in free agency, really upgrade their entire yeah. bench. But I know you're somewhat concerned, and this can tie back into the Oladipo thing, about whether Evans and Oladipo will establish chemistry right away or if it's going to take them a little bit of time before they really start to mesh. Right. Well, I'm not the concern is probably not the right word because I think they will. I think both Oladipo and Evans are just too smart of basketball players to not find common ground eventually. I just think you need to to temper expectations with those two. I don't think they're going to come out immediately and have the chemistry all set because they're both ball-dominant guards and they like to create for others and themselves. So it, it's a balancing act. And, you know, we see this every year with with players, you know, joining new teams and, and establishing new relationships with highball dominant guards. You know, just because it went smooth in Houston with, with Chris Paul and James Harden doesn't make it the norm. Right. And so I'm just, when I saw that, that people were just all up in, going all in on, hey, you know what, Oladipo and Evans are going to be like this great pair. I don't necessarily disagree with that. I just think that you need to... Give them some time to gel before you you look at them and go, oh, this is the next Jordan Pippen, you know. <laughs> Just right. give give them a couple months to get you know acquainted with each other on the court and just let that chemistry build up from within. Yeah, I'm intrigued to see how much they play together because I'm assuming Evans is not going to start. Like I'm assuming they're still going to keep Collison, Oladipo, and Bogdanovich as they're starting one, two, and three respectively. Mm. So, like, I, I'm sure they are going to see minutes together, but I'm wondering, like, is it going to be 10 minutes a game or is it going to be, like, closer to 20 or 25? Like, it, to me, it almost seems like you want to keep those guys separated somewhat as much as possible because Evans can just do such a good job running that second unit alongside Corey Joseph and Aaron Holiday. 
You know, right. you're just going to have like so many guys that can initiate the offense on this team, which is going to mm-hmm. be really nightmarish for opponents to guard. Like, it's not a matter of like you shut down one guy. Even if you shut down Oladipo, okay, Evans can create, Collison can create, Corey Joseph can create. Like, it, it's not like a shut down the head of the snake and the whole thing dies type of team, which I think is going to suit them well, not only in the regular season, but especially in the playoffs. Um, Ian, I think one of the other big storylines with this team is Miles Turner because, you know, a lot of us had him pegged as, like, this under-the-radar unicorn, you know, like, basically, like, Christoph Porzingis and Carl Anthony Towns, Joel Embiid get all the hype, and here's Miles Turner in Indiana, and he can do all of the same things. He can hit threes. He's one. Of, he's a great shot blocker. You know, he took a big jump from his freshman to sophomore year, and it looked like, basically, you know, heading into last year, it was like, all right, the hope for Indiana is that Oladipo breaks out and Miles Turner continues building on his progression from year one to year two. And if both of those things happen, then they actually have a chance to make the playoffs. So Oladipo lived up to his end of the bargain. Miles Turner did not. Uh, but that said, now, like this summer, um, Om Youngmizuk of ESPN.com had a really good piece about kind of his struggles last year and like what he's doing to rectify that he's like (laughs) he's doing a lot of yoga i guess because he wants to improve his pliability which i think is pretty interesting so what are your expectations for miles turner this year do you think you know the progression we saw from year one to year two do you think he's going to get back on that track or do you are you worried that you know he kind of stagnated and that's going to continue into this season I think he'll be better than he was last year, but I've definitely reset my expectations for him a little bit. I think um, it, it was—I think it was surprising the degree to which, like, obviously his shooting gives the Pacers' offense something. It, it opens driving lanes, and it and it really helps their offense sort of uh, function uh, in a healthy way overall. But I think it was surprising how much uh, Sabonis's passing and movement sort of did a lot of the same things. Um, And so, yeah, I I think uh, it it was sort of surprising that they, you know, weren't necessarily any better off with Turner on the floor, that that was not a a sort of a clear upgrade over Sabonis. And he he hasn't, uh, some of it is opportunity with Oladipo being so ball dominant with the backcourt, sort of taking on so much of the creation roles. Uh, You know, he was really relegated to a finisher and a spot up shooter and didn't get a ton of opportunities to, um, you know, try and create from the high post some of his you know his quickness against bigger players um and i think that's probably going to continue this year i think you know with with tyreek evans in there uh i i don't think the pacers it's this weird thing like short-term long-term like long-term they're probably better off if they give uh, turner sort of more offensive reps more offensive responsibility more uh more chances to sort of grow out his skill set but in the short term you know i I think they're better off if he's still kind of playing a smaller role on offense uh if they're still mostly making use of him as a spot-up shooter and stretching the floor um you know one thing that people have pointed out is his his tendency still to uh, spot up a step inside the three-point line and you know if he can really uh, pay attention to his positioning be aware of where he is on the floor uh, you know they can get a lot more mileage out of his spacing I think than they did last year mm. That's, yeah I'm really interested to see how they balance the Turner and Sabonis pairing especially because as you said there wasn't a huge drop-off and it seemed like 
you know, Sabonis, if we thought Oladipo was like the forgotten man in that trade, like no one expected anything out of Sabonis. But he actually turned out to be a pretty damn good player. So, yeah, seeing how the Pacers balance that, and especially then working in Kylo Quinn as well, who really, I mean, you know, Turner could theoretically play either the four or the five. Like, there's not, he's not stuck at one position, but Kylo Quinn's pretty solidly a five. Like, you don't want him guarding stretch fours. So, seeing how that manage that front court rotation is going to be pretty interesting this year. And I don't think Turner and Sabonis really work well together long term. I think you know there's some occasional scenarios that call for that, but I think they're they're better separating those guys. Uh, and, and you know maybe using McDermott a little bit at the four is, is uh, mm-hmm. you know behind Thad Young is is the way to go if they want to sort of maintain the integrity of this system of of really sort of attacking, running, shooting. Um, you know I think that's probably better than trying to figure out how to work in you know six, seven, eight minutes a game. Of, of playing two bigs hmm. that, that's that's gonna be interesting I'm, I'm excited to see how McDermott fits in as well because you know I, I know a lot of people especially when he signed that contract were like that is awful but I think <laughs> I think he actually has a chance to be pretty good in this system like it wouldn't surprise me even if he doesn't put up like career best numbers in terms of like per game output it wouldn't surprise me to see him like at least on a per 36 minute basis, put up career best numbers or close to it. Because I, I do think, especially if he gets some opportunities at the four, you know, they have so many other good defenders they can cover up for him in that regard. Um, I, it's going to be, I'm like, I'm just excited to see this team. I know, like, they don't, you know, they're a small market team and, like, no one's going to really pay attention to them until playoff time. But, like, they snuck up on us all last year. We should not let that happen again this year like we should we should know that they only got better they only improved a 48 win team so that's my last question Mort about the Pacers is you know everyone is crowning Toronto Boston and Philly in some order as the top three seeds in the east could Indiana sneak in and like nudge Philly out or nudge Toronto out um Philly yes assuming injuries which is always a you know, a concern in Philadelphia. But <laughs> assuming, you know, fully healthy Embiid, fully healthy Ben Simmons, I, I, I would probably place uh, Indiana at, a, like, for a very firm fourth fourth spot. I don't think they'd drop lower, though. Hmm. Yeah, well, I, w- I would be surprised if they did. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, we've talked about this before, but I, I really see the top six in the East. I think there's a clear drop-off between... Probably one and two in the East, and then I think three mm. and six are pretty closely bunched together. Even though the perception is that Philly belongs with the Toronto Boston tier, I don't, yeah. I think they're more with like Indiana, Milwaukee, and Washington. And I think after Washington, Milwaukee. there's like a yeah. clear drop off. Yeah. But Milwaukee's a good. I, I forgot about Milwaukee. Milwaukee could be like Milwaukee and Indiana should fight it out for fourth. Yeah, but the, but I, I see those two like in the same. Tier. I don't. I don't see anyone really coming close to them. I mean, the Detroit and whatever. Like, just doesn't seem like a, a realistic option that they come close. Right. Yeah. I, I think this division is between the Pacers and the Bucks, and it like no right. one else has a chance. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store well, that's actually a perfect seg then into our next team, the Milwaukee Bucks. And I, I mean, the big storyline with them is that they actually have a real head coach for the first time in years. They, you know, they fired Jason Kidd at the middle of last season. Joe Prunty took over. He was just completely over his head. Brad Stevens danced circles around him in the playoffs. Then they bring in Mike Budenholzer this offseason, who was the former coach of the Atlanta Hawks. He was with them. You know, in their 60-win season when they went to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, he's already talking about, you know, how he's just going to, like, build this team around defense, and he's excited to work with Giannis and Chris Middleton especially. So, Ian, that's that's the first question. Is is Giannis headed for a career year because he gets to play under Bud? I think probably everybody else benefits more from, from Bud than Giannis does, or at least statistically, you know, uh, Giannis's numbers have been so incredible for the past couple of years. I don't think you're going to see his stat line look noticeably more impressive. Maybe it's easier for him to get those numbers, you know, requires less effort uh, and less work to, to put up those big numbers. But, you know, I think, uh, if you're if you're simply looking at the box score, I think it, things are going to look pretty similar for him. But I think overall uh, effectiveness, the pieces are going to fit together better. I think things will be e- easier for uh, you know for Bledsoe, for Middleton, uh, you know for the guys around them. Uh, and I think Brook Lopez and and uh, Ilyasova will both have really nice uh, seasons for them. I think. Uh, kind of one-dimensional guys for them those those uh shooting bigs uh adding spacing into their offense but i think both guys will will have really nice seasons and uh you know really really help compared to what they were trying to do last year yeah i totally agree i mean I, it wouldn't surprise me if you know it, like if you look at Giannis's numbers as you said they've just like they've gone so astronomically up every year that it's hard to like continue projecting improvement because soon he's like he had 27 10 and 5 last year plus like a steal and a half and almost a block and a half per game like the only thing he could add at this point is a three-pointer and if he does that we might as well just cancel the league because he's just going to run things for the next 10 years so like i don't know what if you project that that much improvement again he's going to have like 30 points and 12 rebounds and seven assists a game. That, that said, I do think, you know, the assist numbers, I think, could go up somewhat significantly. Um, he had 5.4 the year before, and he slipped a little bit to 4.8 this past season. I think, you know, as you said, having the two bigs that can actually stretch the floor will help just, you know, he's going to have more opportunities to pad his numbers because his teammates can actually knock down shots. Whereas last year it was really just Middleton and then like occasionally Bledsoe and Brogdon and Parker. But I think having those guys will help. Um, Also, I just think Bud ran a system that was more predicated on ball movement and three-pointers than what Kidd and Prunty did. Like his Hawks teams, I think every year were among the top 10 in passes per game. Um, And I think same, I want to say they were either top 10 in threes 
every year or like maybe four of his five years in Atlanta. So I think there's just going to be um, a substantial overhaul of their offensive system, which is only going to help. As you said, it's going to help everyone. But like if I'm putting money on it today, Giannis is at least in my top three of MVP voting just because I do think you know the Bucks are going to get better, which is going to help him. And I think he's going to have just an absolute monster season. Um, but Mort, <laughs> Giannis is not the only one who's going to have a monster season. Our adopted son, Chris Middleton, I think, is also oh, headed yeah. for a big year. Oh, yeah. Given what happened in the East this year, now LeBron's gone. Uh, you know, I guess Kawhi came in. But, like, there's just not as much competition for all-star spots, especially at the forward spot. Do you think our baby right. boy, Chris Middleton's headed for his first all-star game? I mean, he could be. His numbers last year were certainly good enough to to warrant some attention. Um, and now with Jabari Parker out of the picture, I think he's going to get even more shots, more attempts to just, you know, showcase what he can do. He's a wonderful passer. He's a tremendous scorer. He's a pretty strong defender who doesn't really get the the amount of attention that he deserves. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him be, be named an all-star. And, and uh, you know, knowing NBA Twitter... Like, he'll have some pretty good raw numbers, I I predict. And you just know someone will begin the whole, oh, you know, him and him or Oladipo. Like, who would you rather? You, you know it's going <laughs> to come. But, like, there's going to be that Oladipo vibe to him, I feel. Like, him becoming that more, you know, a cemented player than he was before. Mm-hmm. And just becoming that clear-cut number two option. Yeah. Depot obviously is number one, but you know what I mean. Like, just the, the level of his profile increasing. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, he's only 27. Like, he's not... Yeah, he's young. Yeah, he's not super old. I feel like he just flew under the radar because he missed most of the 2016-17 season with that hamstring injury. Like, he he broke out in a big way in 2015-16. Then he hurts the hammy and just doesn't put up as much number... Or, his, like, his per-game stats fell when he came back from the hammy just because he's playing five fewer minutes per game. Then he has a totally healthy season, plays all 82 games, plays 36 minutes, puts up monster numbers last year. And it feels like, you know, the concern, I guess, if you're rooting for him to be an all-star, is maybe Bud Dallas' minutes back a little bit. Maybe he doesn't have to play 36. Maybe he only plays 33, 34. But if he stays healthy, man, he's going to have a really good shot at being an all-star. And I know I'm going to be caping for him. I'm sure, as you said, I feel like NBA Twitter is going to lead the charge more. Like, oh, yeah. They're going to be, you know, we love our, like, advanced analytics guys. Like, Robert Covington is being featured in all these, like, top 50 lists. And I feel like that is just basketball Twitter seeping into the <laughs> mainstream. <laughs> I think Chris Middleton is going to be considered a top 30 player at the end of this season. And I think NBA Twitter is going to be uh, largely responsible for that. So I'm pretty excited to see him this year. Um, Ian, they've got Eric Bledsoe. I think he's under contract for one more year. You know, he played pretty well, all things considered. You know, he, like, came over pretty early in the season after he he was kidnapped in a hair salon in Phoenix. (laughs) Um, He did struggle, I would say, in the playoffs, especially. Terry Roger got the best of him, and he had the whole, like, who is Terry Roger thing, which was just embarrassing on multiple levels. Uh, but that said, you know, this is a pretty big year for him. They need to figure out whether he's the long-term answer at point guard or if they need to go in a different direction. So what do you think 
uh, about Bledsoe's long-term fit in Milwaukee, and what do you expect to see from him this season? I think he would be way more useful to them if he didn't have the profile that he has. If he didn't, um, like, if he didn't come along with those expectations, uh, you know, if he was, I don't know, a guy they signed out of the G League who who sort of popped up and broke out and could do the kinds of things he does, but they didn't feel like they had to play him starter minutes. They didn't feel like they had to protect his reputation, give him a certain amount of shots, or give him a certain amount of offensive responsibilities. I think the more they could be flexible with his minutes, use him sort of situationally, or uh, sort of be more strategic with how they use him, especially with Giannis's ability to handle the ball, Brogdon's ability to handle and shoot and defend multiple matchups, um, but because he's bled so, I feel like they sort of have to, you know, he's their starting point guard and he has to be their starting point guard and do starting point guard stuff. Um, so, I, yeah, I think he's useful for them. I think uh, I think they're handcuffed a little bit by having to sort of overutilize him or use him uh, in ways that are, are maybe less than ideal. Uh, but, you know, maybe maybe Bud is able to sort of work around that some or, or sort of massage that situation. He's obviously a lot more... Um, uh, uh, delicate, uh, perhaps, in how he communicates <laughs> with players and media than uh, certainly than Jason Kidd was. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a really interesting perspective thinking about like if Brogdon, like, or sorry, if Bledsoe, like, replace his name, like, just pretend he's Darren Collison instead. Yeah, and I think like it that would make a substantial difference. I think you're right, because um, you're right, like he. We, Mort and I were talking about this with TJ McBride when we previewed um, the Nuggets and like how the Nuggets have built so well around Jokic because they realize like, all right, we have this really rare type of guy who's a big man, but he can pass like a point guard. And we should, we need to build around that. We need to take advantage of that in our backcourt instead of having this conventional ball dominant point guard. We're going to have a Jamal Murray who can just spot up and shoot the hell out of the ball. And for Bledsoe, you know, that shooting is not a strength per se. I mean, he shot 30, almost 35% from three last year, but only a 33.7% three-point shooter across his career. So it does make me wonder whether he's going to be, you know, kind of the answer there long-term or if he's going to be looking for a new home after the season. Um, that said, I you know it wouldn't surprise me at all if he does have a really good year under Bud and at least gets to you know pad his stats and like look good heading into free agency next summer. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean it would be if I if I were the Bucks, I would try to use him a lot in that second unit as well. Like I think you should always have one of Giannis or Bledsoe on the floor pretty much at all times if you can, um, and you can run that first unit through. Giannis more than take Eric Bledsoe out early, bring him back in with the bench unit, and he could just destroy. I mean, God, he would destroy second units. It would be really like that seems like the best answer to this conundrum of like how best to use both of these guys. 
Yeah, and I think his pairing with Brogdon uh, is is uh, more advantageous probably than any of the other backcourt pairings because Brogdon can shoot, because Brogdon can uh, can handle the ball as well, and and let Bledsoe you know sometimes sort of work as a secondary creator too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, before we move on from the Bucks, we already mentioned them briefly before, but they did bring in both Ersan Ilyasova and Brooke Lopez this off season. Mm. The latter, I think, is one of the best signings of any team this summer. They got him, I think, at like one year, three point four million, like dirt cheap for what's going to be their starting center. And I know, you know, he had a down year with the Lakers last year. His rebounding concerns have long plagued him, but I just think having two guys who can shoot consistently in that front court spot is going to be a massive upgrade for them, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And again, like I mentioned Jabari Parker earlier, like him, you know, not having him on board allows for these spot-up shooters to get more touches, get more shots up. You know, you you will have an opportunity to have the ball in the hands of Giannis and Chris Middleton and actually also Eric Bledsoe a little bit more, which I feel is just a more efficient way of running the offense. Uh, you know, you touched about it, you know, just, just before when we were talking about Jokic as well. Like you need to surround your best players with shooters like Milwaukee just went with the big man shooters which is fine I mean in this day and age it doesn't really matter if the shooting comes from the backcourt or the frontcourt as long as it's there and Giannis has a kick out option and now he has two more and to be fair like Jabari wasn't that he wasn't a guy you could count on to stretch the court consistently at least and now you have two guys who most certainly can it's going to be a, a major weapon for all three of Giannis, Middleton, and Bledsoe to, to have these outlets you can go to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, we saw it in Philly last year with Ilyasova. Like, he was, you know, again, he's not a super consistent three-point shooter, but just having that threat is going to help them space the floor better than they did last year. Like, you know, Thon right. Maker can do it, but he shot less than 30% from three, and he didn't take a high volume of attempts per game. So you just didn't have to respect that as much as you're going to, from Ilyasova especially. But Brook Lopez has added a three-point shot to his game the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Like you, opponents are gonna have to respect that from both of them. So you know, as we talked about with Indiana, like I wouldn't be floored if either Indiana or Milwaukee was a top three seed in the East this year. I don't think both are. I think two of Boston, Toronto, and Philly are gonna be top three seeds, and I'm not sure. You know, as you said, more injuries may end up deciding which one falls out. But, like, Milwaukee and Indiana are both right there, like, hot on their tails if they're not going to be top three seeds. I think both of these teams are very good. And I think you're whichever team, like, you're going to want to avoid the four seed because you're going to get one of these teams as the five. And that's going to suck. That's going to be a brutal first-round playoff matchup. I, I would just preach patience with the Bucks just a little bit. Uh, I, I think it's going to take time to implement an entirely new system. And, and Bud comes from the Spurs coaching tree. And as we know, for most Spurs players coming in, it takes a year to get accustomed to pop system. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, Budenholzer runs a lot of the similar sets. So I, it wouldn't be surprised to see most of the box roster just at least take a couple months to, to get acclimated to that entire process. That's fair. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. 
Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance, which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Uh, since you brought up Jabari Parker, Mort, let's talk about the Chicago Bulls next. And let's start with Jabari, because I, I think that was one of their big stories of the summer. Uh, you know, they get him on a two-year, $40 million deal, team option on the second year, so really a one-year deal for $20 million. What do you expect out of Jabari this year, and how do you expect him to mesh with the other front court guys, Laurie Markkinen, uh, Robin Lopez, Bobby Portis, Man. Wendell Carter Jr.? I have no idea. <laughs> I have literally no idea because this is look, – look, I mean, if he was playing the four, you would have some sort of idea. Mm-hmm. But now they're slotting him down to the three – and you have Zach Levine, who's just gobbling up shots. Right. You have you, you don't really know if Wendell Carter is going to start or come off the bench, and like he's a significantly different player than Robin Lopez. You don't really know where Chris Dunn is in terms of his you know development. Like he became a little bit more shot hungry at the end of the year, mm-hmm. so you don't know if that carries over. I really have no idea. I have I have a feeling that. The Bulls are you know undoubtedly they're going to end up with a very talented starting lineup. But it, but you have to look at them in a vacuum individually. Like, right. yeah, you have a very... Well, well maybe you can look at Morgan and, and Wendell Carter because those two, I think, are going to mesh beautifully. Mm-hmm. But we've seen that Dunn and Levine can't really mesh. It On paper, it doesn't really appear like Levine and Parker can mesh. So, like, it's just... It's all these moving wheels that don't really fit together. <laughs> right. So I have no idea what to expect from Jabari. What what I just hope for his sake is that he finds his footing and he doesn't get injured again because like yeah. two ACL tears and the same knee, it's just so brutal. So all I'm just rooting for with Jabari is just remaining healthy, and I just hope that he ends up having a fun year, honestly, where he bounces back to some level of consistency. And if, even if that is not enough for the Bulls to look at that second year and go, well, we, we're going to pick it up, we're going to pick that option up, then I at least hope he's going to prove himself to the point where a different team is going to take, you know, a a chance on him. Right. Yeah, I think uh, clearly the concern is him playing out of position because, you know, he was never a great defender. But especially after two ACL tears of the same knee, the lateral quickness is just not going to be there for him to guard opposing threes. So at least on defense, you're going to want him playing against fours. Mm -hmm. But that, you know, how you make that work, when you have, you know, again, so many other front court guys on the floor, I don't know. Like, offensively, I don't think positions really matter for the Bulls. I think, you know, him, Markin, and Wendell Carter, all of those guys can stretch the floor. So there's no, you know, it doesn't really matter who's playing in the post. Who, like, you, right. all, all of those guys can do everything. So that's fine. It's really the defense that's the concern. But that makes me think, like, Chicago is just going to be, like, the shitty East Coast version of Denver. Like they're just gonna, you know, they're just gonna be like. That's fair. Like that's actually a good one. First, yeah. first team to 130 wins, but uh, like we're not gonna play defense because we're gonna have Parker and Levine oh, out yeah. there. Um, yeah, but, that sounds fair. So yeah, that that's gonna lead into my next question because uh, Ian Mort is pretty much out on the Zach Levine experience. Uh, he was very <laughs> upset. When they resigned, or the, when they matched the offer sheet for the Kings, you know he he was hoping for about half of the, the price they actually got him for, uh, you know, and large part because of the concerns on defense. He's just 
so bad on that end of the floor. Uh, do you think, you know, now he's more than a year removed from the ACL tear, do you think he actually has a chance to improve as a defender? Or do you think, you know, offensively he was also just terrible last year in terms of efficiency? Uh, do you think that regresses back positively and at least helps to outweigh some of the defensive concerns? No, I think he's probably uh, in a bad spot on both ends of the floor, I think. <laughs> uh, uh, not to be too negative. I mean, uh, athleticism was not his defensive uh, Achilles heel anyway. It was always sort of awareness and intensity and aggressiveness. And it seems like this is uh, like, a, like a worst-case scenario for defensive development. He's got a big contract. He's playing on a team that's really uh, like – I don't know what the word for it is, but like they have some really solid defenders on this roster and they have some really terrible defenders on this (laughs) roster and not a lot of people who are in between. So no matter what, when he's on the floor, he's going to be playing with like one, two, or potentially three other like really bad defenders. Um, So both you have the issue of like, he doesn't have support around him. It's not like he's going to have, you know, four other guys covering up for him. But then also it's sort of hard to imagine that, he's going to get a lot of uh, sort of attention from the coaching staff holding him accountable defensively for his effort and, and awareness when they're putting out fires from four other guys too. Um, <laughs> and then offensively, I think he is the, his best case scenario is in a supporting role. And I think with, um, with the roster, the way it's set up, I think he's going to get probably more uh, on-ball creation responsibilities than he should have for sort of his ideal efficiency. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me to see his, his shot selection suffer a little bit, him uh, maybe sort of overdoing things at, at that end. And uh, so it wouldn't surprise me if his, if his efficiency doesn't really bounce back either. Oh, boy. Well, get excited, yeah. Bulls fans. It's going to be a good season from Zach Levine, it sounds like. Uh, <laughs> let's talk Bulls fans off the edge a little bit, though, because there there are reasons for hope. I think that starts with Lloyd Market and Mort. You know, he had a great, oh, yeah. great first season, better than mm-hmm. really even the most optimistic Bulls fans could have expected, except for maybe our boy C-Red Fred, who thinks they're, like, running processed Midwest out there. Uh, oh yeah, Denzel Valentine is the new Paul Pierce <laughs> his count. So, yeah. oh boy. Uh, so, what do you expect from Markin in, in year two, Mort? Just a drastically improved player. Um, he played in the. Let me see. I, I don't know if it was the World Cup qualifiers or it was the Euro Cup qualifiers for Finland uh, this summer. But he looked so much better. Like his body is is just so much more in tune. Like he mm. he got bigger. But it didn't hurt his athleticism any. Like his first step is still perversely good for a seven footer. So I think he's gonna round out his game a lot this year. I'm expecting one hell of a second season. The the, the concern I have isn't really about Markinen per se, it's about <laughs> Levine honestly mm. hurting Markinen stock by just taking more shots and not really tunneling the ball towards him. Like that was a big issue last year with, with, with Levine and even Chris Dunn as well was Look, don't don't take these shots out of the offense. Mm-hmm. Go get the go find the wide open seven footer who's the quickest player of all time to make one hundred career for threes. Who's wide open in the corner? Go you know go get him the ball. And if that trend continues, 
then it's going to be a major problem for then he's not going to have the opportunity to showcase that he is undoubtedly as of right now the best player on the bulls and he's going to probably see a small stagnation in his development so that's a concern but marketing in in isolation in terms of how he's doing his offseason work and how he's looking like i have zero doubts that he's going to be absolutely insane i'm very excited to see him this year i'm not gonna lie um before we move on from the Bulls, and this is now year four of the Fred Hoiberg experience. I believe more he's signed to a five-year deal. Is that right? That is correct. Okay, so he's got one more year after this season. You know, this is probably the first year where you could argue this is like a quote-unquote Hoiball roster. Like they didn't bring in 35-year-old veterans despite saying they were trying to get younger and more athletic. Like, now they actually have a bunch of guys in their early to mid-20s. So, if he struggles this year with this roster, do you think he's on the hot seat at some point? No, I think he probably, uh, having survived this far, I think he's bought himself some latitude. It's tough to imagine... um, it's tough to imagine him struggling with the previous rosters he had and not getting fired and them deciding, you know, uh, that now that we're finally sort of pivoting, we finally have this young roster and, you know, we're not significantly better. Uh, you're not the guy. Uh, and it also, it wouldn't surprise me if the Bulls sneak up on some people this year, you know, like we were talking about the defense being bad, but like you said, they're going to, you know, they could score 130 points and, you know, outscore a lot of teams and, uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me even if their record is not great if they if they seem like a team that's moving in the right direction this year and um, so yeah I think I think they'll be patient enough with him that that he'll at least survive through this year. Yeah, I forget more. I don't remember who we were talking about. It might have been like Dallas or Memphis or something like that, where we were saying it was kind of the same thing. I think it was Dallas. We were saying like they're probably not going to make the playoffs, but they're going to be annoying to play every night. Like yeah. they're they're not gonna lose by like thirty, and the game isn't gonna be over by like midway through the court third quarter, and it's not gonna right. be like you know who was it last year where Ben Simmons was like playing Fortnite with Carl Anthony Towns, and Towns he was like Simmons was like, oh you have a game tomorrow, who are you playing? And Towns said, I don't remember who was it the Hawks or something? Oh, uh, it might have been, and it was just like, yeah. oh you don't need to scout for that. <laughs> yeah. I I don't think the Bulls are gonna be that level of bad as ian said yeah i think they're gonna be i think the playoffs are probably a stretch still just because they're so young not only because of the defense but just because they're so young and they're relying on so many young players and young players make dumb mistakes we saw that with philly last year a lot in the first half of the year they give away games they shouldn't give away just because they're not. Then, then it's just additional. So it's it's just so additional fun that the Bulls select the, all these seniors and call <laughs> them ready to play, and yeah. then you still have the argument: oh, they're young and they make mistakes. Like, then why the hell take seniors? But at least over the last two years, they've refrained. They, yep, right. They've yep, gone yep. slightly younger. That's true. They have. They have. Kudos. Yep. It only took you five seasons to realize. <laughs> <that>. <laughs> right. 
Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store all right guys let's move on to the cleveland cavaliers the second time it is the post lebron james cleveland cavaliers uh ian morton and i were actually together in denmark when news of the kevin love extension broke we were waiting in line for a roller coaster we each get the Woj bomb on our phones and we're like what why did they do this synchronized voach bomb right uh yeah both yeah. of us phone of our pockets at the exact same times our wives behind us just shaking their heads like yep yeah, they're like we married it, this isn't it july we married this why yeah. yeah um that said you know it seems like they want to compete for a playoff spot this season at least based on reporting from Woj and others so do you think kevin love can be that anchor for this team do you think we're gonna get like the reprise of Minnesota Kevin Love where he's putting up 25 and 12 every night? I sure hope so. I mean, obviously it's going to be a big adjustment. I think it's the mental adjustment maybe more than anything else. Uh, He just seemed so beat down by LeBron (laughs) and all the criticism the past couple of years. Um, You know, I hope it's a freeing experience for him to – you know, sort of be the center of a team again to sort of get to play in the way that is most natural for him, not, you know, uh, crammed in a, in a box to sort of uh, fit somebody else. Um, yeah, I, I don't think they're a playoff team this year, but it wouldn't surprise me if uh, next year, you know, they make a couple more roster moves and they're, you know, in that mix for the, you know, the last three, uh, you know, three, four playoff spots in the Eastern Conference. And, um I don't know. I, I think he uh, – it seemed like an unconventional move. It seemed like the, the, the norm would be to tear things down to the studs and, and totally rebuild with LeBron gone. But, uh, yeah, I think this keeps them an interesting team. I think it keeps them a team that's, you know, on the edge of the playoffs, on the edge of the playoff hunt. And uh, I think Love certainly deserves this opportunity to kind of show what, you know, what he can be again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm excited – to hopefully just have him remember or remind people that like he's he was a really good player even you know it, it wasn't necessarily just like a good stats bad team type of guy because he proved in cleveland that he could be a you know good stats good team guy uh but i am excited to see him just put up like ridiculous numbers again and i hope he does um you know regarding the playoffs you were mentioning like cleveland I, I likewise don't think they're going to make the playoffs this year, but they're going to, like, I, basically the floor in the East right now is, like, the 11th seed because you have the Nets, the Knicks, the Magic, and the Hawks, all of whom are just not even going to be remotely competitive this season. So, like, even if, you know, I don't think Cleveland's going to even be that close to the playoff hunt, but I still think they're just going to, like, by default, be the 10 or 11th seed to get somewhere in the 30s for wins just because there are four teams in the East that are, like, actively terrible this year. No offense to the Nets, Mark. <laughs> um, so the other question 
big question for them, of course, is who replaces LeBron James? And clearly no one is going to replace the output that LeBron had just because there isn't anyone in the league like him. But they do need to fill his starting spot in the lineup. So more, they just re-signed Rodney Hood to the qualifying offer. They still have Chetty Osman as well. Uh, I, I feel like <laughs> that David Nwaba is also an option. So who do you think gets that nod in the starting lineup? Sam Dicker is an option too. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which really, that foursome is not entirely inspiring. No, <laughs> sure but isn't. I, I do love the David Nawaba option there. You know me. I'm, I'm a huge Nawaba uh, homer. I mean, he's he's defensive inclined, extremely athletic, strong as an ox. I, I, I really like this dude. Um, he's not going to get that chance. I think it's going to be Rodney Hood. Yeah. Uh, even though they didn't come to terms on a, on a contract agreement, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Cleveland is still invested in seeing what he can become and, and re-signing him next year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, instead of going the traditional qualifying offer route for most team where they go, oh, then we have no reason to, to play you because you can leave for nothing, so we'll just, you know, sit your ass down for the entire year. I don't think that's going to fly. I think they're going to play him a lot of minutes and, and just try to make sure that re- the relationship is stable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I would agree. It seems like I think Hood is probably the best option, as you said, just because they got to see if they do want to resign him. And they've got the other guys, you know, as you said, Nwaba, like, he's just 6'4. I don't think you want him as your starting three. I think he's going to play a critical role right. off the bench. It's, yeah. it's going to be interesting to see, like, how their lineup shakes out in the post LeBron era. Um, Ian. They drafted Colin Sexton. They still have George Hill. You know, if and when this playoff chase goes south, do you see Sexton supplanting Hill at some point? Or do you think Hill's going to keep his grip on the starting job for the whole season? I imagine, I imagine Sexton starting before the year's over, uh, if only because I, I'd be surprised if George Hill, <laughs> you know, is healthy the entire season. Yeah. Um, you know, g- given the past couple of years, it wouldn't surprise me if at some point he's nicked up a little bit. He misses a game, a couple games. Sexton comes in and and um, you know maybe not have the same kind of impact, but you know put, puts up some big numbers for a game here or there, and then you know that's kind of obvious that they're just going to roll with Sexton for the rest of the year. Um, I think. You know, I, I think the writing's on the wall there. The, the other nice thing is that Hill can play the two and, uh, and you know, can be comfortable in that spot. And so I, I think they can um, they can play some minutes with, with Sexton and Hill next to each other and, and get away with that. So even if Hill's not starting, uh, you know, I think they can make him feel uh, okay, you know, with 25 or 30 minutes a game and still sort of work that in. Yeah, and he's still getting, what, like $18 million? Yeah. <laughs> think he'll be okay either way, regardless of what role he plays this year. Uh, let's wrap things up then with the Detroit Pistons. The big question for them, Ian, they fire Stan Van Gundy. They bring in Dwayne Casey, who is fresh off of a 59-win season with the Toronto Raptors, one coach of the year. Still wasn't enough to save his job. What do you think they look like under him? How do you think he changes their system at all? I wouldn't look uh, at the Raptors too much in terms of style and think that Casey's going to emulate that. I think um, 
uh, he's you know he's so hamstrung by Griffin and Drummond and what's possible with that pairing, knowing that they both need to play big minutes and that they have to try and figure out a way to, to work together. I think he's going to have to sort of be bound by uh, by that uh, stylistically. Uh, but I think they will. Uh, I think they will play hard. I think they will play uh, intelligent basketball. I think. Um, I think over the past couple of years, you saw some kind of malaise settle in with Van Gundy. Uh, and so I think just, just having a fresh voice, uh, you know, in the locker room will help with energy and enthusiasm and chemistry and, and some of those things. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's going to be interesting to see. Cause just, he just didn't have like two high usage bigs in Toronto. I mean, you didn't run your offense through a Jonas Valanciunas or a Serge Ibaka, whereas especially last year, like they were running their offense a bit through Drummond, and then Blake obviously is just such a high usage player. So, more that's my next question about the Pistons: is how best do you maximize the pairing of Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond? So obviously, Drummond improved dramatically as a passer last year, but you know you have to look at what works and. After Blake was traded to Detroit, he averaged almost seven assists per 36 minutes. So at, as of this point, like I do consider him the better passer. Mm-hmm. So what you really need to do is balance that, but not at the same time stop the evolution that Drummond is going through. Like he's clearly trying to evolve, you know, evolve his game and, and become this, you know, elbow passer and, and do these things. And it's just so crucial that you don't sacrifice it. But at the same time you got to look at the results, and Blake Griffin gets those results in. He's a wonderful, you know, transition player. He can handle the ball. He can, you know, initiate the offense. So that has to play in, and I would make him the focal point off the offense, but it's just so crucial that you don't, like, make Reggie Jackson the secondary component. Like, you need to involve Drummond so he cares all the way through. <laughs> it's it's going to be tricky, I think, I think, but then again, having a full, you know, training camp under both of their belts and and Mm -hmm. learning the system simultaneously is going to help them a lot too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a big point is that, you know, it's tough for a high usage player like Griffin, especially to make that adjustment midway through a season. Uh, And then for like Drummond's assist rate and just touches per game dropped somewhat dramatically after the all-star break, just because you had to run the offense more through Griffin. So I mean, I think that's really, like, the big storyline to monitor in Detroit this year is how they look under Dwayne Casey, how he figures out how to pair those two guys the best because, you know, you just traded for Blake Griffin on this mammoth contract that you're probably not going to get out of unless you're, you know, you're going to have to give up assets to get out of it most likely. Uh, And, you know, Drummond, you've got him signed for a long time too. Like, you need these two guys to work. The third part of their quote-unquote big three uh, is Reggie Jackson, Ian. Uh, and it feels gross <laughs> to even include him in a big three, but, you know, he, contract-wise at least, he is their other, you know, really highly paid player. He's had some struggles in terms of injuries the past couple years, uh, which has really sapped his effectiveness. So do you think they can count on him this season? Or if not, where, you know, where do you think they turn to get production at the point? I think they're not. I mean, he he's uh, he's not lived up to what they were hoping for, uh, and it's it seems like it's gotten worse and worse. You know, he's sort of con- continually been in trade rumors, and 
uh, I, I think it's affected him and affected everybody else. And, you know, his, his skill set, I would say he's best at, you know, sort of attacking out of the pick and roll. And with Griffin and Drummond, uh, both guys are so adept at the elbows. And, uh, you know, that seemed like what really sort of helped Drummond break out at the first half of last year was getting those elbow touches and, um, you know, facilitating for, for guards curling off the ball. Uh, I don't think Jackson helps much in, in that kind of uh, in that kind of system. He's not uh, a reliable outside shooter. He's not going to help space the floor. Um because so I think he's going to look more and more ill-fitting this year. I think they'll explore uh, trades again and uh, again find it difficult to to find anybody else who's interested in Jackson. But I think if the if the Pistons really take off this year, it's going to be uh, because shooting helps. So you know, I think uh, Luke Kennard, uh, you know, if Bruce Brown can be a shooter for them, I, I think those. Um, uh, Kyrie Thomas. I think those are the guys who are going to have to sort of make the difference and, and sort of make it work around Drummond and Griffin because I don't think Jackson helps at all as a third wheel. Yeah, I totally agree. And that means it's time. more Ish Smith time, I think, is really the answer for everyone. But yeah, I mean, it. this team, it feels like I kind of really hate how they're constructed. Like, I, there are a few teams in the league that I hate more in terms of team construction. With that said, it also feels like they're bound to be the eighth seed because, you know, I think the top six we mentioned earlier, I think the Heat are pretty safely seventh. And then it's like your competition is the Bulls, the Cavs, and the Hornets for the eighth seed. And, like, the Bulls and the Cavs aren't there. And the Hornets, if they're smart, they're going to trade Kemba Walker at some point this year. So, like... It feels like the Pistons are going to be a sub-500 team, but they're still going to back into the 8th seed just by default almost. All right, that'll do it for us today. Thank you again to Ian for coming on. Uh, reminder that you can follow him on Twitter at Hickory High. You can also find his work at Fansided. We've had the 25 under 25 just came out last week. We've got a bunch of season preview stuff coming out. In the coming weeks, a lot of good stuff, so check them out, fansided.com slash NBA. In the meantime, you can find us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. In our bio, you can find our Twitter handles, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes, so please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. We'd love any feedback. And we're being hosted on the Almighty Baller Podcast Network, so check them out on Twitter at Almighty Casts. Until next time, I'm Brian Toporek, and I was joined by Morton Jensen and Ian Levy. Have a good one, guys. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Old moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.